0: When Tommy starts throwing music in the floor, you know he's getting serious. <laughs> Thought we were fixing to go into some Mozart here. I didn't know what was going on. Got to spend some time with God this morning, and he wanted me to remind y'all of something. Um, last night, many of y'all made promises to God that if the Braves would win, you would do Whatever. I am here this morning to hold you accountable to those promises that you made to God last night or they will not go to, or they will not make it through the World Series. No, I'm joking. It was a uh, awesome this morning to wake up and say that they had won. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't stay up and watch it. Um you all pray for me this morning. My voice has been going in and out for quite some time and some of you are thinking, "Praise Jesus." But at the same time, um I want to talk to you about uh, this next series that we're going to start into. Um, if you will, go ahead and turn with me in the book of Colossians. I started reading through the book of Colossians for, um, for a reason, for a sermon series that I was wanting to do. And uh, some things lined up to where uh, God changed that. He, he helped affirm that through other people as well. But this morning we're going to be talking about, and over the next couple of weeks we're going to be talking about why Jesus. And I know this is a question that some of you may be thinking, what in the world are you trying to say here? Why Jesus? Why Jesus is a question that some of us will get asked at some point in our lives. Why is it that you trust Jesus? Why is it that you believe in Jesus? Why is it that you hold to Jesus? This was a question that was brought to me not too long ago by a college student. And I'm going to be honest with you, their argument was very good. With so many, many many different religions, why is it that you choose Jesus? And the only answer that I could give the college student at that time, because I was really taken back by it, was because he chose me. I choose Jesus because he chose me. Before the foundations of the earth, he chose me to die for. Before all, I, all that come into existence, he chose to create me. But as I started reading through some of the scriptures, especially in Colossians, something really jumped out to me. Because if you really wanna know what the whole premises of the book of Colossians is about, it's about why Jesus. Paul is writing a letter to the people of, um, okay, there's an argument about this. Some say it's Colossia or Colossi, and some say it's Colossia. Here's my thing. I think it's kind of like if you're from South Georgia or from North Georgia, it's either pecan or pecan. Nobody really knows the difference. But regardless, Paul is talking to a group of people and the thing, the premises of what he's talking about is why Jesus. Colossia, Colossia, whatever you want to call it, was a city that was in what we consider modern day Turkey today. But it was a city that Paul had never actually got to visit. This was a city that was pretty much evangelized by another one of his counterparts, and as we go on through this, we'll learn more about this whole, sor- about this whole story. But for the sake of my voice, we're going to go ahead and dig into it today. So in Colossians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, he goes on to say this, after saying that he desires for the people of Colossae or Colossi, whatever, to have a full understanding. To be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might. For obtaining a steadfast patience joyously. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And in verse 13 he picks up with this. For he rescued us from the, dominion of darkness, for the domain of darkness. And transferred us to a kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will have who <clears throat> he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the father's good pleasure For all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to him. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things are uh, things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in the fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard which was proclaimed in all of creation under heaven and for which I Paul was made a minister. Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, thankful. Thankful for what you have taken us from. Thankful for what you are moving us to. But also, Lord, thankful that you did rescue us. Thankful that you come to reveal yourself to us. Also thankful, Lord, Lord, that you came and gave us your word so that we could have it not only just as a as a testimony of what was done but as a word that can change us from the inside out this morning Lord that's what we desire we desire a transformation in all of our lives that only you can do this is a transformation That is done through the working of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And we pray this morning that as we dig into this word, that your Holy Spirit is doing something in us that none of us could do in ourselves. We never could make ourselves right with you, Lord. We never could be the people that you had originally called us to be. Your son came, died, so that we could be reconciled to you. For that this morning, Lord my heart is repentant but at the same time my heart's joyful because of that love we now know you it's in Jesus name I pray amen why Jesus like I said this is a question that sometime in your life all of you are going to be asked and this is really just the intro of what we're going to be digging into over the next couple of weeks but one, there's, when Paul gives this explanation of Jesus, he's actually hitting on two major things, but then he's hitting on some other things in that. And the two major things are what I really want to hit on first. And the first one's evident. It's right there in the first four words of verse 13. He rescued us. Now when we think of rescue, normally we think about a situation where it is evident that rescue is needed. When I was thinking about rescue the one thing that came to my mind and I couldn't help to think about it was October in 1987 a little girl by the name of Jessica McClure. How many remember Jessica McClure? 18 months old was walking in her backyard and fell into or stepped into a eight inch diameter pipe. When she did One leg went down, one leg folded up next to her head, and she fell 22 feet straight down. Now, this wasn't the bottom of that pipe. This wasn't the bottom of that well. That well went a lot deeper. But it was evident that this little girl needed rescue. Over the next 56 hours, I mean, I think everyone who was around followed what was going on. Followed the story of them digging this big trench beside this pipe. And then having to tunnel over to the side of it. The story of them trying to figure out how they were going to cut through the pipe right below her and pull her on down. But all of us remember that evening. That evening when the news flashed showed the scene that we'd all been seeing. And out from that hole comes that man with little baby Jessica wrapped up. It was evident that rescue was needed. Another time we know that rescue was needed was when Katrina hit. All of us remember seeing the scenes, people on the rooftops begging for help, begging for somebody to come by and see them. It was evident that rescue was needed then. In 2007, there was another time that rescue was evident. This is a story that most of us don't hear about. A doctor by the name of Dr. Quresh Al-Khazar was an Iraqi surgeon, world-renowned surgeon. And he was at home during this time when a major war broke out in Baghdad. This war took place on his street for two months. Him and his family and many other families were there caught in the crossfire. It got to the point that all the electricity was gone. It got to the point that all the water was gone. It got to the point that all the food was gone. The doctor knew he needed help. The only things that were working Was his phone? The doctor was world-renowned. And somebody called him, and they got him in touch with the news media. And it was on the air that he puts out a plea to the American ambassadors to come, to send help, and let them know of all the destruction that was going on. Luckily, three streets away, there was a battalion of special forces. That special forces, at the command of our president, run in. Save not only this family, but multiple other families. In situations like this, rescue's evident, right? But what's amazing about this story that we're reading right here, about the story of Jesus, is that rescue wasn't necessarily evident. He's talking about a former life that you had. And all of us have had these former lives. A life that we were apart from Christ. And I wanna ask you a very serious question. When you didn't have Christ, did you know you needed him? Did you? I'm gonna be honest with you. I didn't. You know what I thought I needed? G.I. Joe and firecrackers. That was the best thing in the world when I was growing up as a kid. We'd get these G.I. Joe figures. We used to love to play with them. We would get all of them out at night, and then we would divide them up, and there'd be a war between me and my brother and, and my cousin Brian, and evidently, most of the time, Brian and Steve would team up on me annihilate me, and I'd go off to my room crying, but that was a lot younger. Then when we grew up a little bit like that, we found firecrackers and we discovered the power of firecrackers. We first started with those firecrackers in anthills. And, you know, you'd start off with an anthill, blow it up, and keep on going deeper and keep on going deeper and keep on going deeper. I was living the life of a kid. I had no idea that I needed rescuing during this situation. I had no idea that I had sin in my life. I had no idea that I had a need for a Savior. Many of you have the same story. Maybe it's not based around when you was a kid. Maybe it's actually based around when you were older. Things were going well in your life. Things were going great. Business was going good. Marriage was going good. Kids were going good. But then, out of the blue, maybe through a message, a message in church, a message on TV, or maybe simply from somebody talking to you, you realize that your life was completely undone. One of the things that gets me most about Jesus because he didn't wait on us to get things right before he come to us. Think about that. He didn't wait on you to clean up your life. He didn't wait on you to start coming to church. He didn't wait on you to get your finances in order, get your life in order, your family in order. He came to you when you didn't even know you needed him. We get so frustrated with the world around us. We see them living a life that we know is not going to bring them any prosperity. And when I'm talking about prosperity, I'm not talking about financial gain. I'm talking about spiritual prosperity. We see them living a life that we know is only going to lead to destruction. We get angry. We get frustrated. We get mad at them. And why? We get mad at them because they don't realize they need rescuing. But you didn't either. I didn't know I needed rescuing. I could have gone on forever with GI Joes and firecrackers. My wife probably wouldn't have liked it. Boys would love it. They'd think it was awesome. But in John chapter 1, verse 4, he says this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light of men shone in darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend it. It didn't comprehend it. Jesus didn't wait on us to have perfect understanding before he come to us. And this is different. This is different from any other religion. Again, remember after what we've been talking about. What's religion? You working your way to God. But in this, in what we follow, in what we believe, while we were in darkness, not looking for light, he came into the darkness to show us the light. But we didn't comprehend it. But we still don't comprehend a lot. Because not only did he rescue us, he also revealed his self to us the words that's used there are words that I'm going to be honest with you puzzled me for quite some time over this week he is the image of the invisible God you know sometimes in life things are so big that we really can't comprehend them one of my favorite things to do and I still do it especially in fall the nights get crisp the nights get clear You can go out, and you can look up at the stars, and you can just see the broad immense of his his creation. And you're sitting there, and you're looking up, and you're in disbelief. But after learning a lot more, I've become even more in disbelief of what I'm seeing. When we look up at the sky, are we seeing the whole universe? Are we? No. We're seeing only a small portion that we can see from our eyes. And what we're looking at, we really can't comprehend. I love it. Sometimes I can't tell what's a star, what's a galaxy, what's a planet, what's an airplane, because those come through a lot too. But we can't comprehend it. How many of you have got the opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon? Anybody? I haven't. I'm jealous, though, because Jerry sent me a lot of pictures of his previous trip to the Grand Canyon. And, you know, again, from what I'm seeing in pictures, I only get a small glimpse of it. But the same thing is true with the person that's standing on the edge of that canyon. You're only seeing a small glimpse of it. And the size of it, it's absolutely incomprehensible. You can't understand how big this thing is. You can't understand how this thing was made. Another thing, we've all heard the saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. Now I know some people think this is kind of stupid. This is kind of foolish. What do you mean? You can't see the forest for the trees. How big is the Nanahela National Forest? Anybody know? It's the size of Rhode Island. Just right over there. Nanahala National Forest is the size of Rhode Island. So if you go to the edge of the Nanahala National Forest, can you see it? No. Why can't you see it? Because of the trees that are in front of you. It blocks the view. It obscures the view. You can't even conceive the size of how big this forest is. Jerry, again, was blessed to get to go to see the redwoods before some of it burned up. Even there, could you see the whole forest, Jerry? Because there's some big old trees, ain't the brother. We perceive by what we see. Why don't you think about that for a minute? We perceive by what we see. You know, we've always heard this, the invisible God. But the older that I've got... The more perceptive I've got, something's come to mind, something's come to my understanding that He's not as invisible as we think. Matter of fact, I'll be honest with you guys, I see God almost every day. I see Him in the sunrise, I see Him in the sunset, I see Him in the majesty, beauty, the beauty. Of what we're seeing with the seasons changing. I see him in my boys. I know that's hard to believe, but I do. We were sitting there reading the other night, reading a story about a man who doesn't have children, <laughs> a man by the name of Abraham. And we're starting, we're talking about God's promises. And it is so cool how Jerry's sermon was on this very thing. We're sitting there talking about God's promises. And you know, God made me and Jennifer a promise. <laughs> I'll never forget it, July, twi- uh, July 1st, 2012, South Africa. He made us a promise that one day we would adopt. We had no idea how that was going to come about. Well, since then, there's been some other issues as well. You know, we've been worried about this whole thing about how do we talk to them about adoption. So I'm sitting there and I'm sharing with the boys about how God promised that he would place them with us. And I asked him and I said, do you know how he did that? Without even missing a beat. Jennifer was right there. She's in the door crying. But she's right there without missing a beat. Colton looks at me and says, you adopted us why the heck have I been worried, so worried about telling them about it when they already know, they understand? I mean, honestly, I've seen God in that. His promises are being fulfilled, even through that. He promised that he'd give them to us, and he's going to take care of how we deal with this situation as well. So why am I so worried about it? And you know, the other night, it hit me. God's not as invisible as we think He is. Because I think God's a lot like the universe. We can only see so much of Him. I think God's like the Grand Canyon. We can only see one piece of it. I think God's like the forest. We can only see a small snippet of it. And I believe with all my heart, guys, I believe this is why the terminology is, is used through all throughout Paul's writing about how God came down. Maybe come down doesn't mean from heaven. What if come down means? Come down. God made himself less and came to this earth through his son. Jesus came to reveal his self to us. It's funny because we wasn't looking for him, were we? You remember the day that he made his self, that he revealed his self to you? Be honest with me. Were you looking for him? No. And neither was I. I wasn't looking for him. I was looking for a way to get away from that camp and get back home to my mama. I didn't care about salvation. I didn't care about any of that. I cared about getting back from Maranatha, being at home with mom. That's all I was worried about. But during that moment, that moment of loneliness, God revealed to me how much he loved me and how I was never alone and how he would always be by my side. So what hindered me from seeing this? Well, the same thing that hindered the Colossians from seeing this. Because one of the things the Colossians were still dealing with in this time were what they called household gods. Sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? And how a household god. But these were little figurines. These were little idols that they had all throughout their house. And you know the reason they had these idols and these figurines all throughout their house? Because they could see them. Because they could see him. Because it's not always easy to see God, is it? It's not. Especially in the world that we live in today. It's not that easy to see God. And Paul even talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? This is uniquely different, again, from any other belief or religion. That not only God came to rescue us, but also the fact that God revealed himself to us when we weren't searching after him. He came. He found us. And he revealed himself to us in the image of his son. No other religion. No other belief. No other thought of mine has anything as beautiful as what's laid out in these, fir- in these two three verses, two, three verses, 13, 14, and 15. Of what God has done for us. So I want to point out a couple of things to you real quick. About why this is so unique. Because when he came to us. What did he also reveal? He revealed that he created us. He created us. All things have been created through him and for him. You want to know something about most other beliefs, religions, whatever you want to call them? They don't have a point of beginning. When you really dig in deep to them, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam uses the Torah, so it does have a creation. But the rest of them, they don't have a creation. They don't have a point of reference of where things begin or how they even begin. So when Christ came to this earth, He came to reveal to us that through Him, by Him, all things were created. But not only that, He also came to tell us that we were created for Him. John one three says, "All things were made by Him, and apart from Him, not, <clears throat> apart from Him, not one thing that was created has been created." So brothers and sisters, take courage in this. You were created by him and by him for a purpose. And in that purpose, he leads us. He leads us. And again, this is distinctly different from any other belief, religion, whatever you want to call it. Because all these other beliefs and religions tell you that you constantly have to seek after it. Now don't get me wrong. We still have to seek after him. We still have to seek after his truth but it's not some unattainable truth it's not something that we get from a nirvana or from a utopia it is something that we get from him himself his holy spirit that comes to speak to us and he leads us by this holy spirit ephesians 4:14 4, says he will no lo- we will no longer be like children tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of human cunning, with cleverness and techniques of <clears throat> of deceit, he has given us a straight path. He himself came and gave us that straight path. And not only did he do that, he also restored us. Now I want you to look at this real quick. Go back to verses twenty-one through twenty-three. Twenty-one through 30, twenty-three says, "And although you were formerly." alienated, and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Which, has proclaimed, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Paul is specifically talking about a point in his life when he was alienated, when he was apart from Christ. And you know what's funny? Paul didn't know he needed rescuing then. Ever thought about that? when Paul was on the road to Damascus was he going to be rescued? no what was he going for? permission permission to do what? permission to kill Christians permission to imprison them permission to cause all these hostilities towards these people and in that moment God came down rescued him and did what else to him? Revealed his self to him. Brothers and sisters, this is what's so unique about Jesus. No other belief, no other religion, no other mindset has this detail and this depth of what's being told to us in this word. And I can't help but when I was reading this, the first verse that came to my mind was 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God. God. Who reconciled us to himself through Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he was committed to us, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Do you understand what's being said here? You should die you should die a horrible punishment. But you don't have to die this horrible punishment because Christ, Christ took that punishment for you. And because of him doing that, your faith and trust and belief in him reconciles you away from that punishment back to God. You are with God. God. No other belief, mindset, religion, whatever you want to call it, has anything like this. There's a group of individuals. have seen them in town. And it breaks my heart because they're going around. They're going around spreading a message. Spreading a message that if you do these things, you can be right with Jesus. And you know what bothers me even more about that? Even in the name of their organization, the name of Jesus is there. Yet they do not believe exactly what Paul is saying right here. They do not believe that through the death of Jesus Christ that we have been reconciled to God. They believe that we still have to work towards it. They believe that we still have to do enough deeds, give enough alms, Say enough prayers to where we can make ourselves right. So some people would ask, so why Jesus? One, he rescued us. Two, he revealed himself to us. Three, he created us. Four, he leads us. Five, he restored us. And all that brings me to a better question. The question is not why Jesus. The question is why not Jesus? The question is why all these other things? The question is, why are we putting our faith and hope in all these other things and not holding to the one thing that we're commanded to hold to? Some of you may have the question this morning. Why Jesus? Brothers, sisters, why not Jesus? Why not? He's a big... Uncomprehendable God no we can't see all of what he's doing we can see parts of it but he did send his son as a guilt offering for all of us that if we would look on what he did we could be reconciled where else are you gonna find that? Where else are you gonna find that love? Where else are you gonna find that forgiveness? Where else are you gonna find that kind of story with your name written in it? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've done and all of us. And Father, this morning, I do believe with all my heart that your word will not return void. So whether it be online, whether it be here in the sanctuary, or whether it may be weeks down the road when somebody comes across this on YouTube, I pray now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do a work in people that only you can do. I pray, Lord, that in you they would see that the fullness of God was there, Jesus. And I pray that your Spirit would draw them, draw them to you. Father, do what only you can. do what only you can and reconcile us to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning, as they get ready to sing and as you stand, maybe you do have the question of why Jesus. My heart this morning is Jesus is telling you right now why not. This morning, some of you may have people who've already asked you this question and you may not know how to answer them. This morning, I pray that you'll seek God out, that you will be praying to him about another opportunity to talk to these people with the ammunition of God's word about why they should choose Jesus. And if you don't remember anything else, remember what I said. The reason I chose Jesus is he chose me first. He didn't wait on me because if he had waited on me, I'd have never come. This morning, however God's leading you, whether it's at the altar in your pew, cry out to Jesus.